0: Today, I'm going to continue a pattern that I've been doing of great speeches, great leadership actions by historical figures. I did, I think, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela. Today, I'm going to do General Patton in his speech to the Third Army. If you saw the movie Patton, you saw a shortened version of the speech I'm going to give. I'm going to give a long version that he gave to the Third Army not long before D-Day, I believe. I believe he gave it multiple times. I don't know too much about Patton, except that he was a general in World War II, also World War I, I believe. Did well at West Point. I believe he set records, historical records, for all time in terms of how fast he advanced through the Nazi defenses. He did a lot of stuff in North Italy before that against, I guess, the Italians and other Axis powers. You can watch the movie Patton or read the Wikipedia page or read any number of history books about him to get more background. I'll leave that to you. I hope that you'll compare what he's asking his men to do with what it takes to pollute less on the environment. I'm selecting him as others because he's motivating people to do what I believe that they think is right but is against their immediate interests. It's in nobody's interest to go into battle because they might die. And yet, if we don't, well, Hitler was trying to take over the world. What we have to do today is almost nothing in comparison to what he and his men did then. I'm going to read his speech verbatim, not nearly as colorfully as he would, but please translate while I'm reading it from certainly the language of the time. The language is obviously of that time and would cause him to be canceled today, except that he helped defeat Rommel and Hitler and save the free world from the Nazis taking over, which probably even the most offended person today would value. But also please translate From his talking about fighting the Germans, fighting the Nazis, and being fearful of their lives, to what it takes to act on the environment. So, for example, parallels might be when he talks about Germans, well, the parallel for that for us now would be pollution. So when he talks about attacking Germans, that would be the equivalent of us today reducing pollution. He leads his men to love attacking Nazis. Could you love reducing pollution? You won't risk your life to do it. It'll be a lot easier. A parallel for fighting would be reducing consumption. Again, much less risky to reduce your consumption, to fly, less to drive, less to eat, less meat, things like that. The parallel for going home would be living without thinking about stewardship, where it becomes natural, where you just don't think twice about not getting single-serving stuff. You don't think twice about a staycation. You don't think twice about taking consideration how your behavior affects others when you pollute the world or don't pollute the world. Learning to fight would be training to pollute less. Nobody can start perfect. Nobody knows how to fight right off the bat. No one can automatically go into battle. It takes training. Likewise, it takes time to learn to pollute less, to buy less doof, less packaged food. Every little thing that you do trains you to do more more effortlessly. So when you think about reducing, say, your use of straws, you might think that doesn't really do very much for the world. Ah, but it does a lot for you to learn how to, first it's avoiding straws, then it's avoiding single-use cups, then it's avoiding single-use anything. The parallel for bravery would be active, acting with integrity today, not just passively saying, well, I don't know, the serving the coffee in a single-use plastic cup, I'll just get it, that's what everyone else is doing. It would be actually, you know, thinking through it. Am I going to do this or not? The parallel for surrendering in his world, in our world, would be acting for yourself, ignoring how your pollution hurts others, especially those helpless to defend themselves. There's some things that are the same. The emotions that hold you back from acting. We come up with reasons not to act. It's easy not to. And then there's the training that overcomes that fear. There's the reward in the moment of the physical challenge. Because I can tell you, it's very rewarding when you can overcome this thing that you've been doing for a long time that you know pollutes and you've been meaning not to, and then you don't. It's very rewarding in the moment. And then there's afterward, the reward of satisfaction. Some things that are different. There's basically zero risk to your health and your life in polluting less. On the contrary, there's a great improvement to your life to eating more healthy, which is eating lower on the food chain, which means causing less pollution when you eat. The risk comes if you don't act in today's world. If you don't act, you know the risks. The sea levels rising, the pollution, it's death, it's things like that, it's war, it's risks to your health, it's carcinogens, it's making people, including yourself, sterile, all sorts of things that come with pollution. Okay, this is enough explanation. It's time for the speech. I'll let you translate in your mind to motivate yourself to help your country, your family, your world, and yourself by polluting less Please listen through all the way to the end, because the last analogy in his speech is, I believe, what motivated his men the most, and it applies to us just as much as any other human. We are free in part because of him and the men that he said this to. Can we honor their defending us from Hitler by doing some tiny fraction of what they did then for our world today? Here comes the speech. And be prepared, there's lots of cursing. The man cursed a lot. That's how he led his men to love him. Yes, love. We denigrate some things about masculinity today, but it was celebrated in this context. And yes, there's lots of cursing. There's lots of rough language. That was then. I hope we can handle it today. Here goes. Be seated. Men, all this stuff you hear about America not wanting to fight, wanting to stay out of the war is a lot of bullshit. Americans love to fight. All real Americans love the sting and clash of battle. When you were kids, you all admired the champion marble shooter, the fastest runner, the big league ball players, and the toughest boxers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. That's why Americans have never lost and will never lose a war. The very thought of losing is hateful to Americans. Battle is the most significant competition in which a man can indulge. It brings out all that is best, and removes all that is base. You are not all going to die. Only 2% of you right here today would be killed in a major battle. Every man is scared in his first action. If he says he's not, he's a goddamn liar. But the real hero is the man who fights even though he's scared. Some men will get over their fright in a minute under fire, some take an hour, and for some it takes days. But the real man never lets his fear of death overpower his honor, his sense of duty to his country, and his innate manhood. All through your army career, you men have bitched about what you call this chicken shit drilling. That is all for a purpose, to ensure instant obedience to orders and to create constant alertness. This must be bred into every soldier. I don't give a fuck for a man who is not always on his toes. But the drilling has made veterans of all you men. You are ready. A man has to be alert all the time if he expects to keep on breathing. If not, some German son of a bitch will sneak up behind him and beat him to death with a sock full of shit. There are 400 neatly marked graves in Sicily all because one man went to sleep on the job, but they are German graves because we caught the bastard asleep before his officer did. An army is a team. It lives, eats, sleeps, and fights as a team. This individual hero stuff is bullshit. The bilious bastards who write that stuff for the Saturday Evening Post don't know any more about real battle than they do about fucking. And we have the best team. We have the finest food and equipment, the best spirit, and the best men in the world. Why, by God, I actually pitied these poor bastards we're going up against. All the real heroes are not storybook combat fighters. Every single man in the army plays a vital role, so don't ever let up. Don't ever think that your job is unimportant. What if every truck driver decided that he didn't like the whine of the shells and turned yellow and jumped headlong into a ditch? That cowardly bastard could say to himself, hell, they won't miss me, just one man in thousands. What if every man said that? Where in the hell would we be then? No, thank God, Americans don't say that. Every man does his job. Every man is important. The ordnance men are needed to supply the guns. The quartermaster is needed to bring up the food and clothes for us because where we are going, there isn't a hell of a lot to steal. Every last damn man in the mess hall, even the one who boils the water to keep us from getting the GI shits, has a job to do. Every man must think not only of himself, but think of his buddy fighting alongside him. We don't want yellow cowards in the army. They should be killed off like flies. If not... They will go back home after the war goddamn cowards and breed more cowards. The brave men will breed more brave men. Kill off the goddamn cowards and we'll have a nation of brave men. I have to interject here and say, what he's talking about bravery is in our world would be stewardship. And killing off would be somehow not having people who are indulging for themselves in not caring about how their behavior affects others. So this part is a bit more of that age but I hope you're not having trouble translating what was normal then into what's normal now. Okay, back to the speech. One of the bravest men I saw in the African campaign was on a telegraph pole in the midst of furious fire while we were moving toward Tunis. I stopped him and asked him what the hell he was doing up there. He answered, Fixing the wires, sir. Isn't it a little unhealthy up there right now? I asked. Yes, sir, but this goddamn wire's got to be fixed. I asked, Do those planes strafing the road bother you? And he answered, No sir, but you sure as hell do. Now there was a real soldier, a real man, a man who devoted all he had to his duty, no matter how great the odds, no matter how seemingly insignificant his duty appeared at the time. And you should have seen the trucks on the road to Gabes. Those drivers were magnificent. All day and all night they crawled along those son of a bitch roads, never stopping, never deviating from their course, with shells bursting all around them. Many of the men drove over 40 consecutive hours. We got through on good old American guts. Those were not combat men, but they were soldiers with a job to do. They were part of a team. Without them, the fight would have been lost. Sure, we all want to go home. We all want to get this war over with. But you can't win a war lying down. The quickest way to get it over with is to get the bastards who started it. We want to get the hell over there and clean up the goddamn thing and then get at those purple-pissing Japs. The quicker they are whipped, the quicker we go home. The shortest way home is through Berlin and Tokyo. So keep moving, and when we get to Berlin, I'm personally going to shoot that paper-hanging son of a bitch, Hitler. When a man is lying in a shell hole, if he just stays there all day, a Bosch will get him eventually. The hell with that! My men don't dig foxholes. Foxholes only slow up an offensive. Keep moving. We'll win this war, but we'll win it only by fighting and showing the Germans that we've got more guts than they have or ever will have. We're not just going to shoot the bastards, we're going to rip out their living goddamn guts and use them to grease the treads of our tanks. We're gonna murder those lousy Hun cocksuckers by the bushel fucking basket. Some of you men are wondering whether you'll chicken out under fire. Don't worry about it. I can assure you that you'll all do your duty. War is a bloody business, a killing business. The Nazis are the enemy. Wade into them, spill their blood or they will spill yours. Shoot them in the guts, rip open their belly. When the shells are hitting all around you and you wipe the dirt from your face and you realize that it's not dirt, it's the blood and guts of what was once your best friend you'll know what to do. Now, again, I have to interject here and just editorialize. He's being really horrible here, but what we're talking about here is eating fresh fruits and vegetables, riding your bike instead of taking a taxi, walking, or canceling a trip and staying home and connecting with your neighbors. So he's talking about some brutal stuff because it was a brutal situation. What we have to do here, you know, not get bottled water. It's so much easier. Okay, back to the speech. I don't want any messages saying, I'm holding my position. We're not holding a goddamn thing. We're advancing constantly, and we're not interested in holding anything except the enemy's balls. We're going to hold him by the balls, and we're going to kick him in the ass, twist his balls, and kick the living shit out of him all the time. Our plan of operation is to advance and keep on advancing. We're going to go through the enemy like shit through a tin horn. There will be some complaints that we're pushing our people too hard. I don't give a damn about such complaints. I believe that an ounce of sweat will save a gallon of blood. The harder we push, the more Germans we kill. The more Germans we kill, the fewer of our men will be killed. Pushing harder means fewer casualties. I want you all to remember that. My men don't surrender. I don't want to hear of any soldier under my command being captured unless he is hit. Even if you are hit, you can still fight. That's not just bullshit either. I want men like the lieutenant in Libya who, with a Luger against his chest, swept aside the gun with his hand, jerked his helmet off with the other, and busted the hell out of the Bosch with the helmet. Then he picked up the gun and he killed another German. All this time, the man had a bullet through his lung. That's a man for you. Don't forget, you don't know I'm here at all. No word of the fact is to be mentioned in any letters. Oh, I have to interject here again. I believe this was just before D-Day, and the Allies were using Patton as a distraction to get the Germans to think that he was the one attacking in D-Day when he wasn't. So I'm gonna repeat this part. Don't forget, you don't know I'm here at all. No word of that fact is to be mentioned in any letters. The world is not supposed to know what the hell they did with me. I'm not supposed to be commanding this army. I'm not even supposed to be in England. Let the first bastards to find out be the goddamn Germans. Someday, I want them to rise up on their piss-soaked hind legs and howl, "Ach! it's the goddamn Third Army and that son of a bitch Patton again. And now here's the last two paragraphs that I think are just as meaningful today. I think the whole thing is just as meaningful today. But here's the last part that I want you to pay attention to. Then there's this one thing you men will be able to say when this war is over and you get back home. 30 years from now, when you're sitting by your fireside with your grandson on your knee, and he asks, what did you do in the Great World War II? You won't have to cough and say, well, your granddaddy shoveled shit in Louisiana. No, sir. You can look him straight in the eye and say, son, your granddaddy rode with the Great Third Army and a son of a goddamn bitch named George Patton. All right, you sons of bitches. You know how I feel. I'll be proud to lead you wonderful guys in battle anytime, anywhere. That's all. I hope you're able to translate that on the fly from the language of that time and that situation to the language of today and our situation. If you couldn't make that translation, I'm sorry to have subjected you to something if you found it offensive, but this was one of the great speeches to motivate people to act way more than I see anybody acting today. It's what people are capable of. We are capable of taking great risks And taking on great hardship and loving it and loving the people that we do it with and recognizing that what we do feels so small and yet is so integral to teamwork, to everybody coming together. I hope, please go back and listen to this again or watch the movie Patton and hear George C. Scott do it much better than I could hope to. But let's learn from what human beings are able to do when we want to. We may play a tiny role. We may take a huge role but we can all do this together.